everything must go. The retro game market has crashed. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. What goes up must come down. Dungeons are back for keeps. An XR AR BBC. All this and more coming up on this week's plague-ridden show. Up to date news for out of date tech. Good morning. How are Good you, morning. Neil? How are you, Chris? Terrible. Hands up if you're not well. <laughs> All of us, for those on audio only. Up. It's a bit of a plague bit this week, so I'm sorry uh, if we sound a bit off. Duncan will work his magic to make us sound well. Uh, I have the never-ending cold. Dave, you've come down with it this week. Yep. And Chris, it last week as well. been in a metal tube flying through the sky where it's inescapable. I accidentally visited Plague Island, where you two got it from. So there you that's go. Why. So we'll get, we'll get through this together. Um, I was reflecting on last week's show. Um, did you get a chance to listen to it, Chris, in your absence? I did. I thought it was fantastic. Um, yeah, Ian was Ian awesome. was a wonderful guest. Yeah, yeah what a pro. Really no, that was really enjoyable. And it is, I know you've mentioned this before, it is nice to, to listen to an episode you've not been part of making because everything's fresh and it was, yeah, mm. really nice perspective. And yeah. I liked how Ian's background is, it's 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 like my own, it's, it's nostalgia-driven rather than deep knowledge and that was quite quite um, reaffirming. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, he's the first to say, I'm not an expert on these things, but I've got memories I want to share and they make me feel warm and fuzzy. And that's what it's about really, isn't it? So uh, thank you again to Ian for taking the time to be on our show. He's a very busy man. Um, and also well done this week to Rose Tinted Spectrum. Dave raised over £4,300 for Great Ormond Street Hospital with his 24-hour Dizzy stream. That was two chunks of 12 hours of playing Dizzy. He was joined by the Oliver Twins. Lots of people I got to spend an hour on. I don't know how much I helped because I just kind of coughed and spluttered for an hour, but it was nice to hang out with him for an hour. Um, and it was nice to actually see some Dizzy games completed because I never completed them back in the day. And he managed to bash through quite a few of them. So that was nice to see. Did I, either of you complete a Dizzy game? Oh, yeah. yeah never played a single one. Oh, there's but, Chris. Never played it. Yeah, never okay. played Dizzy. <laughs> no, but, avoided it like the plague. <laughs> I had a multi-face too, and I'm thinking Treasure Island Dizzy. Famously, Treasure Island Dizzy. They changed that at the last minute to make it only have one life, and I'm 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 certain I completed it. So I must have been using save states with my multi-face two and doing memory snapshots uh, on it, it must because there's no way I made it all the way through that frustration and make one slight mistake. Oh, and I have twenty minutes to go through it all again. So I'm sure I must have cheated. It had one life, and it had like this horrendous thing where there was um, you have an inventory system. You can carry two or three things. I can't remember what it is in Treasure Island. Three things. When you pick up a thing, you drop another thing. It just cycles through the things. And one part of the game, you have to dive underwater and you have to be carrying the snorkel, but there's something to pick up underwater. So if you pick that up and the snorkel's in the wrong slot, you drop your snorkel and you die instantly. Game over. It nice. Is, it is a yeah. killer. Absolute killer. You, you only do that once. No, you don't. You do that many times, actually. <laughs> anyway, um, Dave, you've been working on your keyboard again this week. I have. I've got my Atari ST keyboard finished. It is the best Atari ST keyboard in the world, and I mean that because I have stripped it down, cleaned it thoroughly, 
I have retrobrighted the keys and the shell, and I have desoldered the switches and replaced them with brand new Cherry MX Brown switches. So it's a lovely tactile Atari ST keyboard. It's absolutely perfect. I'm delighted with it. I'm going to have it for the rest of my life. Did it have brown switches originally? No, it had Cherry MX black switches. Okay. But so brown, do, I, how, I prefer brown. How does that feel different to you? What's, what's so, is it stiffer? Is it looser? Brown ones have a, they, they kind of, there's a resistance until the resistance is released, but where the black is just a linear kind of resistance. So it's right. not as, it's not as, you don't get the same feedback when you're typing on the black ones that you do with the brown ones. And I'm used to brown ones because I've got them in everything else. Fancy. Fancy. You use, you use Cherry MX Brown. Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, but I, I've not used a black for comparison, so I can't. I couldn't tell you the difference. The, the black, um, the black ones aren't, aren't as, as as popular. I don't know if the black ones came out before the brown. I don't know if black was the only option back when the the Mega ST was made. I'm not yeah, sure. And there's like blue and there's red. There's all kinds, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, have you had as exciting a week as Dave? <laughs> Swapping key switches. <laughs> um, no, I did. I made an unexpected trip to the UK. Won't bore you with the details. Um, but as part of that, I did get to go through some of my old childhood stuff. So more of that. Um, I'll reveal over time. But one of the coolest things was the Fisher Price Wind Up TV. I don't know if anybody had that. I see uh, you've I've got, got a picture of it behind yes, you. Yeah, I've, I've turned my yeah my my big TV in the background into it <laughs> by by way of uploading a photo. Uh, but it was just cool, and it. Because it's been sitting in the loft for way over forty years, um, clearly not used. It's it's just creepy to to wind it up and it just plays so slowly. It would it would certainly <laughs> be in place in a horror movie. It's fantastic. <laughs> so Fisher Price Television. Completely different meaning to when I was younger. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you fly it back with you, the haunted tally? I did indeed. I wasn't going oh, to. Yes. I thought, no, I'll wind it. I'll make a video while I'm here. And and then it somehow made its way into my hand luggage of all places, actually. And wasn't even questioned by the security staff. I was most disappointed. <laughs> um, but yeah. Excellent. Well, we've got lots of exciting retro news this week. So let's dive into the show. If we go back to September 2021 on the show, practically a retro this week in retro, uh, John and I covered the story of the $2 million copy of Mario and YouTuber Carl Jobst was raising concerns about collusion and fraud between heritage auctions and video game grading company What Are Games. In 2017, the record price for a video game was $30,000. That was for a sealed copy of the original Super Mario Brothers on the NES. In 2021, a copy of the same game sold for $2 million. In Carl's opinion, according to that 2021 video that he put out, the price was a result of a combination of things, including market manipulation, shill bidding, buying and shutting down websites that gave realistic values of games, such as Nintendo Age, and the inexact science and easy manipulation of the grading process itself. To summarise, he concluded that it was fraudulent and that the bubble would burst. And it was hard to dismiss his arguments, although many people tried to. Uh, they were very well presented. And I will put a link in the video show notes if you would be so kind as to, to do that, Duncan, so that people can go back and watch that if they want to. So Carl made his prediction. Fast forward two years, and he's put out a new video this week called The Retro Video Game Market Has Officially Crashed. It's a brief 12-minute update in which he checks in with the market to see what's happened since that first video. And he finds that prices are down by up to 90% on their 2021 peak. 
I'm sure quite a few of you won't be surprised to hear that. Examples he gives include the first John Madden game on the Mega Drive, which in 2022 sold for $480,000. I mean, it's a good game, but I, I think it's just because it's the first in a series that people thought that was worth a lot of money. Uh, a year later, 2023, $21,600. So you've made a $458,000 saving by waiting a year. <laughs> Can I just say... If he didn't know that it sold for $480,000, $21,600 is still ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking that. that, I'm sure, yes. Um, He then goes on to talk about Tomb Raider. Uh, This confused me a bit because he said Tomb Raider all started in 1996 with the release on the PlayStation. Now, I'm sure Tomb Raider came out on the PC first. Am I going mad? It did. It did, did. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, PlayStation copy sold in 2021 of Tomb Raider for $144,000. Two years later, a, a copy which was higher graded uh, sold for just just $4,920, an absolute bargain. Uh, and to be clear here, we're talking about a regular copy, just Tomb Raider in a standard PlayStation jewel case. It's, it's not a special edition, hasn't been signed or anything like that. It's just been graded by someone. Are you looking at your shelves there, Chris, to see if you've got a $5,000 copy of Tomb Raider? I was wondering if that was one of the ones I picked up at the charity shop, but I don't think it was, unfortunately. Just just get them to grade it at the checkout. Yeah. Other examples in his video include, now this is interesting because it's the exact same copy of a game, Zelda 2, which sold in 2021 for $102,000. It just sold in 2023, exact same game, same pictures, for $14,400. Who bought it in 2021 for $102,000 and then sold it two years later for $14,400? Mm. I'll tell you the answer. My conjecture there is someone who thought they were buying into a scheme where they would make lots of money for it. Yeah. Or or it didn't really cost $102,000 in 2021 yeah. because they paid someone who handed them $101,000 back under the table. Um, a- anyone who denied there was fraud back in 2021 surely can't deny it now. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, there's lots of speculation about that in the original video and, of course, reviewed in this new video. I'll just give you some more examples. Uh, a copy of Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog on the Mega Drive, or the Genesis in this case. Pretty common game. Um, I don't I don't know the history of the Sonic were there less retail copies because it was a bundled game? Well, it still came in its full retail packaging in the Mega Drive yeah. box, didn't it? Yeah. Anyway, it sold for $300,000 2021. <sighs> and now it's under $40,000. And, of course, the big one, the one that was in the original video, was a copy of Super Mario 64, sold for over $1.5 million in 2021. And um, that exact one hasn't gone on for sale again, but based on similar sales, similar items, the average percentage that all these items have dropped by, Carl estimates that it has lost 90% of its value based on those similar sales. So what all this points to is that Carl's assessment of market manipulation originally is likely to be true. An artificial bubble was stimulated by people with enough money to bid up their own items, or as Dave said, um, give the impression of bidding up their own items to create false value, allegedly in cahoots with water games to reinforce the prices through grading, and then they took other people's money. 
the, the sad reality is that the scam was likely a success for them. Uh, the bubble has perhaps burst because they made the profits that they wanted to and rode off into the sunset. I mean, I think I think someone's got a lot of money in their pockets. There is, however, an ongoing lawsuit against Water Games for manipulating the retro games market, which hasn't yet concluded. So heads may roll, but that doesn't necessarily mean it will be the heads of those who made the money. You know, maybe Water Games will be the full guy and somebody with millions of dollars will be laughing. Usually the way, unfortunately, with these scams. Um, the whole story, though, is very much about the high end of the market, and it's about console games. So while it concludes that prices have dropped significantly, I have to say I haven't noticed much difference in my day-to-day purchasing of 8- or 16-bit microcomputer games, where I normally lean towards. Um, so at the affordable end of the market, there's still nonsense like I saw today a graded copy of the Chaos Engine for the Amiga at £320 on eBay. Um or a GBH release. Do you remember GBH, the uh, budget um, publisher? Yeah. yeah. Little, like little cardboard small, boxes. Yeah. Little cardboard CD sized case. The cheapest of the cheap. It was like four ninety nine or something like that for an Amiga or an Atari ST game. So there's a GBH version of Impossible for listed currently for £140. What's that all about? Um, perhaps it's an example of one of those. Uh, completionist listings maybe that's a rare one on the gbh set and everyone needs that one to complete it i don't know it could be that still a lot of money so there's plenty of nonsense still around but hopefully that's the death of the two million dollar video game at hyperinflated prices and uh maybe from the top end that will filter down in time that's not to say as carl concludes that video games shouldn't be cherished collected and valued it's just that it should be done by those who truly appreciate them and not by fly-by-night speculators who are just in it for the money and ruining it for everyone else dave i know this is a favorite topic of yours you've you've been itching to jump in there and share your opinion as a collector what have you seen happening in the market over the last couple of years so I don't want to say this because I don't want anything that happens in the real world to relate to this Wata stuff because I don't want to, people to think that Wata is its not really related to, to game collecting in the world. It's not really, but I have seen the same. Prices have come down. I've been able to get a few things I couldn't before for less than I saw them, but crash is absolutely not the word. Um, it's, a, it's perhaps things have stopped going up in price as much perhaps things have gone down a little bit but there's not a huge difference yeah in carl's latest video he does say the prices have come down significantly but they are still higher than the pre-bubble prices so they're still up overall i'm not even sure i'd use the word significantly for what i've seen but there you go um there was lots of interest in the general media about retro games about two years ago and the wata thing helped spike unrealistic prices on eBay. People who've gone up into the loft and think they're rich because they found a copy of a, a sports game nobody played back in the day that's not worth anything now. You still see it on eBay. I, I sometimes put links on uh, to you, Neil, where I found 20 games that nobody wants and someone's trying to sell them for £200. That kind of stuff still happens. And I think that was partly driven by this Wata thing and all the coverage in the press about cash in the attic and how have you how have you found a, a treasure hoard there? Um, but 
almost everything in retro is worth less in real terms than it was new, with only a few exceptions like Falcon, Sam Coupe, some of the Amigas, the Ultima games, and so on. Most things, most things, generally speaking, if you, if you measure for inflation, they're worth less than what they were, because we don't tend to look at all the, the various different games that nobody really bought. It's only the popular ones that are popular. Uh, now, um, but as for Wata, it was clearly a scam from the start. How can anyone think that something is going to go up in value that much just because it's been graded? It's not as if, I mean, in fact, I'd like to remind listeners about a story that I covered, one of the first ones I covered on This Week in Retro, which was about the fake Ultimus. So this is fake oh, yeah. copies of Ultima games that had been graded by Wata as genuine. So if anyone wants to argue that the reason why this Wata stuff is mo- is worth more because there's only so much capacity to grade them and they're, they're adding a, gr- a great deal of value by grading them, well, that's clearly nonsense as well. Um, it was all, I mean, there's. I-, I would be shocked if it didn't turn out that Wata were complicit in this, this false scarcity, pumping up the value and all the rest of it. It's so obvious now. They're not even the first grading service. Video no. game grading services existed before them, um, but somehow they've, like you say, they've pumped themselves up to, to try and be the the be all and end all of grading, uh, which is how they can then stimulate the value. I've had a look on eBay while you were talking, and I found Sonic the Hedgehog Mega Drive five pounds fifty boxed. Sonic the Hedgehog Mega Drive three pounds forty five boxed. <laughs> there must so- there must have been something about that version, but yeah. If you if these are if these are worth hundreds when they're graded, why isn't someone just churning out as many graded copies as they can? All these are out there. There's nothing to stop them doing that, other than saying, "Well, if we do produce them, the value disappears." It's clearly a scam. But in the terms of re- the real world, eBay prices are down a little. But I think this water stuff is mostly being meaningless. Hardly any real, essentially real people. Hardly any people like us. In the retro, people who are actually into retro have been involved. It'll have been the same people pushing NFT, crypto, etc., which are all the same classic scams that we've had for decades. It's people pushing shares up in value, saying, "Go on, quick, get in this where well you can," and then the bubble bursts and people walk away penniless. Yeah, how how many people in our hobby have a million dollars to just casually drop on a yeah. video game? No, it's a very uh, small circle of people. <laughs> This 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 is people clearly th- who think they're getting an investment, and maybe some people did get in, buy the games, and get out and make money. But a lot of people won't, um, and it, it's impossible to tell for us which people actually did pay the hundred thousand dollars for a game, and which people paid a hundred thousand dollars to someone that gave them ninety nine thousand dollars back, because that was all part of inflating the value. It'll all come out eventually, but it'll be too late. The money will be gone. They're not going to get. The, they're not going to reclaim the money for anyone. Yeah, Chris, uh, if you were to grade your haunted Fisher Price television, what grade would you give it? Uh, that's got added patina. I think maybe it got through across the, the bedroom at one point because it's clearly been <laughs> re-glued back together. So, I mean, it's one of a kind. So, yeah, well, bidding starts at a million million dollars. I think we can go a, up A million there. dollars for the million dollars. TV. I've graded it myself, um, which I'm sure isn't a conflict of interest. Um, Degraded it yourself. I've degraded it myself. Um, and it works. You know, the way it plays the tune back is entirely unique as well. So, yeah, I think it's definitely worth the money. Um, but no, I'm with Dave I, on I always, I always said you were a wind-up merchant. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, perfect. 
Um, I'm, I'm with Dave on this whole thing. The, the water stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't count. It literally doesn't count. And these outliers, I, I don't, I, I'm not convinced at all that they've even ever sold for those kind of prices. It's, it's all just a, yeah, fugazi. It's a fugazi. Fairy dust. Um, so yeah, it doesn't interest me. But in terms of the the, the market in general, I think uh, I think it's just correcting a little bit. Let's face it. During the you know not so recent now event, uh, which we'll not mention, um, people went a bit crazy with their spending. Um, too much time indoors with nothing to do but browse eBay, um, and things went a bit ballistic, and that needs to be corrected. And and I'm excited about that. I don't care if I lose value on anything that I've bought because I'd like to see. People that are have maybe been put off, you know, they look at this thing like, oh, I've got, I remember that. I'd love to get back into that. Then they look at the prices and get instantly put off. I'd like to see, you know, both hardware and software get back into the hands of people that just want to relive their childhoods. Um, you know, to me, that's what it's about. Yeah, just uh, I'm always conscious when we're talking about money in retro. I don't want people to feel excluded from this mm. because mm. this hobby is there for you, even if you don't have any money. Emulation yeah. is fine. These games are available from good old games, or if they're one of the the eighty percent or eighty five percent are not available, you can get it elsewhere. This hobby does not need you to spend money. All this talk about money sometimes makes me feel as if as if there's this kind of thing. Well, if you're not spending money, you're not doing it properly. Not true. There's lots of things you can do without having to own the game. So I I, I hope everyone isn't put off by it and, and just enjoy it without worrying about it. That's yeah, the true. availability of games, old games to download uh, currently, and hopefully this never yeah. changes, is, is sufficient that there is, it is impossible to gatekeep the experience of playing these old games. There's nothing to stop you yeah. getting hold of them and playing them. Um, it's just these prices are stopping you putting certain physical copies on your shelves. Uh, yeah. Dave nods in front of a bookcase full of beautiful <laughs> full of games. games. The, 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 they make for me. They make the experience better. I enjoy taking the box out mm. and, and oh, having yeah. the box there with it. It makes it a, a better experience, but it doesn't stop me playing the games. The games are there to be played, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I guess, I guess, what I, I just don't like is the fact that you know, not too long ago, you'd have picked up most of the games that you want at a car boot sale for next to nothing, and the only reason you can't do that now is because somebody is there at the crack of dawn to buy them not to use for their own pleasure but to flip them and that's where the price comes from it's artificial inflation so that's that's what i'm that's what i'm against that's all i'm against you know if they they were worth if they were worth three quid you know say five years ago how are they suddenly worth 30 quid now i'll tell you why because five years ago there wasn't so many people wanted them now wanted them or flipping them. them though is it there's no, not, not so many not, people wanting not, them or not so many no, people no. flipping them you're you're definitely wrong oh. um there are far more people into retro now than there were let's say mm. 10 years ago for example 10 years ago not so many people wanted a copy of turrican now, mm. lots more people want a copy of Turrican for their shelves. Now, sure, the flippers do get in there, and they, they, there is money for them to do that. And I, I wish that there wasn't happen. I wish people, I wish people could could pay less for their stuff. But there's far more people wanting this stuff, and that's what pushes the price up. Uh, loads of people want an Atari Falcon now, but in 1995, nobody wanted one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, same the, uh, instead of the A1200. To be honest, in its day, yeah. nobody wanted it. It ended up for fifty quid in a bargain yeah. bin at Escom. You know. The uh, the retro yeah. train, if you like, still has carriages to fill because if you consider that we are one of the earliest generations that are nostalgic for retro, 
I'd like to think we've got a couple of decades before we're gonna, you know, pop our pop our clogs. Um, so there's only going to be more retro fans coming on stream with each generation as they get older and get nostalgic for the PlayStation Four or Five or whatever. So nostalgia and retro for you know nostalgia for video games can only get uh, more crowded. Not necessarily for the same generation, but it's going to get more crowded. Um, I don't know what effect that will have on the overall price. It might. It might make the stuff that we want cheaper because more people are more interested in the more recent stuff. I don't know. Again, though, no, no one, no one's going to be priced out. You don't, you don't need the stuff. Yeah, what a load of nonsense. Anyway, look out for uh, next week's show when we'll be launching our grading service, and it will be the definitive grading service. <laughs> brown envelopes in the post please and do check out carl's video uh the old one and the new one and maybe there'll be more updates to come from him it's a fantastic channel nearly a million subscribers he's doing really well there because he puts out quality content so go and check it out there's a magical place dave we're on on our way there with millions of pcbs all under one roof it's called pcbway.com <laughs> It is. Uh, I've been looking at something on it. Uh, we mentioned the, before the shared projects. Wonderful to browse through those. Even if you don't buy anything, wonderful to browse through. I've been looking at the ZX Nuvo 3. So ZX Nuvo Plus 3. Uh, it is a recreation of the Harlequin, but changed slightly. But the important thing for this is it has a 34-pin floppy drive header on it, meaning I can build a Spectrum and connect an Amstrad 3-inch drive to it, and I can have an incredibly complicated and expensive Spectrum Plus 3 that offers me exactly nothing more than the original Spectrum Plus 3, <laughs> other, other than it looks like a Sinclair one rather than an Amstrad one. I don't not that I'm saying I, I object to the Amstrad ones, but I've got an Amstrad sitting beside it, so I want a Sinclair thing. But yeah, the Harlequin um, um, board is the one that breaks out the uh, ULA, yes. isn't it? So you yes, don't need a ULA; right. it just breaks it all yes. out into, into yeah. logic. So and you, you can see the new loads, loads and loads of uh, chips. If you look at the, the, there'll be a link to the PCB we project on the, the show notes. If you look there, there's, there's loads of little logic ICs there on the board. So that's something I will do. Now I've got another project done, which is the Atari ST keyboard. That's another project we're doing. So hopefully PCB Way will be sending me that when I order it from them. Excellent. So do go and check out PCBWay.com. Click on their shared projects. There is a, a, a ton of retro projects in there for all kinds of systems. Uh, and also check out the Nouveau 3. And we thank PCBWay for uh, taking the time to support our show. Any time from the late 70s onwards, the phrase dungeon crawling meant exploring a fantasy dungeon with goblins, trolls, dragons and other monsters. It started with pen and paper games like Dungeons & Dragons, but there were hundreds of computer role-playing games like Ultima and Ultima. Dungeon Master. Ultima, yay! <laughs> there it we is. don't mention it enough, do we? We don't. Uh, where we would battle through the depths to get to the MacGuffin or the, the treasure at the bottom. The genre grew, and we ended up with full-on 3D perspective stuff like Ultima, yay, all in the world. Um, and... Then again with massive worlds like Elder Scrolls Daggerfall. But until 1997, something was missing. And that was the Dungeon Keeper. Bullfrog 
released a clever take on the genre and what they actually came out with wasn't actually a dungeon crawler it was a strategy game where you took on the role of the devious dungeon designer and you had to attract and keep your monsters happy while building traps so that invading heroes got killed and didn't sack your dungeon. The game was very well received because it had a real sense of of fun and wickedness about it, but it was also a great strategy game um, in its own right. Uh, It was kind of like SimCity with monsters underground. But my memories of it are not all good. I enjoyed it, but I was battling crashes in Windows 95. It was one of these early direct 3D games which crashed all the time. You changed your drivers, you reinstall Windows, and eventually I just gave up trying to play it. I've since gone back and played it, but it's one of those games that was not easy to play because it really liked to have a wobble inside Windows. And once we got past Windows 98, you then had to put compatibility patches on it, and uh, I never went back that often to it. Uh, But that's all changed now because Keeper FX has arrived and it's an open source remake of Dungeon Keeper based on decompiled code and enhanced and expanded and working on modern Windows computers. The good news for me is that because it requires original files, it's more likely to get left alone by whoever now owns the IP because you need to have the original CDs or to have bought the game from GOG and the game's on sale at at GOG so you can go and buy it there Um, so hopefully they won't take it down because it's helping them sell it now Neil did you play Dungeon Keeper? well um, I I, I didn't get into it at the time I loaded it up I probably tried a demo or something like that Mm -hmm. Uh, 1997 uh, I I would have been playing Quake 2 I would have been playing GoldenEye on my N64 which I had for a brief period Carmageddon came out that year uh, redneck rampage played through that and of course ultima yay online came out that year so that was my obsession that year ultima online um just pick you up on um keeper fx dave i believe the big news about this is that version 1.0 we've we've reached that milestone of version 1.0 yes. but it has been in development since 2008 um so as far back as then uh, for the very same reason that you explained people wanted to play it and um i think it was vista windows vista that broke compatibility completely uh people just couldn't play it it was windows 95 that broke compatibility with original well yeah yeah. unreliable unstable but then it was just completely unplayable from from vista onwards so uh it it was set out um to do that mephisto was the name uh, of the fist has been working on it mephisto uh and um yeah on the website there's lots of updates but we've we've reached that milestone of version 1.0 which is fantastic so well done to him um yeah so i remember firing up to give it a look i didn't give it the time it deserved because when i look back on it now it looks like a really lovely take on sandbox and real-time strategy games lots of dark humor very british twist you know thread through the middle of it which is really nice on the scale of bullfrog's hall of fame it looks to be up there with you know as good as if not better than populous um and it does make me wonder dave your obsession with this game is this part of the reason why you got into dwarf fortress i never thought about this and dwarf fortress together but i guess there is a link they do feel very different though you dwarf fortress you start off you kind of are the invading heroes you can you, you do dig into the side of a mountain and try and set yourself up with a your own kind of dungeon 
uh, and then face down invaders as they come. But there's also a bit of uh, you'll you'll find caverns and then try and pacify the caverns and uh, wall them up for yourself, Neil. Hmm. So for me or anyone else listening who didn't get into this back in the day, is it one of those games that's worth firing up and playing through Keeper FX oh, now? Absolutely. Or is it one of those absolutely. games that just hasn't aged well? No, 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 no. Definitely, definitely. This game has aged well. The gameplay is is fantastic. It was fantastic at the time. And it wasn't it wasn't fighting against the limitations of technology. The technology was there for it at the time. Um, well, if Windows 95 had been reliable enough. So this is definitely a game that you should uh, spend some time with. I'm going to, uh, but yeah, it's, it, you'll have fun with it. Okay, I'll give it a go. Uh, one thing that does stand out when you look back at playthrough videos of it is, like you said, it's 3D, but it's not trying to push 3D too hard. It's working within the, the capabilities yes. of the machines at the time. So that looks nice. Yeah. Does Keeper FX give you any sort of capability to increase the resolution? Does it give you yes. any quality of life? Okay, it does. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I should try it then. Uh, yeah. Chris, have you played a game? Have <laughs> I played a game? I've not played this game. No, not at all. Uh, but 1997, I don't know if you guys were aware, but there was these amazing things called first-person shooters. You should probably try some of oh. those. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we've discussed before, you know, my any real, you know, in, game that I played that's a dungeon crawler would be Captive, which I absolutely loved. Um, and there has been talk over time you know, about remake of that, but the the original creator keeps sort of suggesting that maybe there will be one and then nothing happens and there have been some fan project, fan attempts, but then they get shut down as well. Um, but I've always seen that as, and these, these um, attempts always seem to be just sort of a higher resolution version of the original, but still the same mechanics. But why not remake that in a completely more modern way, such as, dare I suggest, turn it into a first-person shooter, maybe four-player <laughs> split-screen co-op. It'll be fantastic. I'd love that. I guess Hexen would be your your, your dungeon based FPS, wouldn't it? Something like that. I'm not yeah. opposed to it because a lot a lot of the gameplay in Captive is upgrading your robots. Yeah, um, there are some puzzles to solve. There's there's devscapes and so on that you'll plug in to do it. It could be a good co op game. You could have co op puzzles to solve. You could have puzzles that require cooperation. The thing with Captive was that all four of your robots were always on the same square. But yeah. of course, if you're doing a co-op online, you can have them in different positions. So it could work that way. And in fact, later in the game in Captive, once you once you got through the various different weapons to the kind of end game weapons, it almost turned into an FPS. Absolutely. The way you were cut yeah. in, in and out about and shooting shooting the aliens and so on almost turned into an fps so I, I do like the idea of co-op that's you've sold me on that chris nice. um now how does this relate to dungeon keeper because you said it further up about it being a dungeon crawler that's all <laughs> <laughs> what, what, okay, what, chris, okay. what you've just <laughs> described is is um reminds me of hired guns that was more of the co-op that's true dungeon yeah. crawler type mm. thing um, yeah single player no you could play that two player couldn't you with two mice right i don't know yeah, I'm pretty sure you could. KeeperFX.net, if you want to go and uh, download it. Um, links in the show notes. Really worthwhile, though. Really worthwhile game. It's not It's not one that... I don't think... I don't feel anyone's come back and done it better. Uh, and it's not the start of a genre that's... You know, sometimes you get a game that's the start of the genre, you think it's good, and you played other games that have come afterwards. You go back to the first one and think, no, there's a lot of things I'm not. I, I, I'm missing here. No, it's not like that. You, you will enjoy it. Into the world of Warcraft. Into 
The wonderful, wonderful. Um, one of our viewers has noticed that the YouTube adverts show adverts for hair loss ads. Um, I feel as if we're in this advert and we didn't agree to it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to welcome new patrons Eric Eric and Flaps1978. Thank you very much for joining up. If you'd like to join uh, our patron um, on Patreon, then it is www.patreon.com slash this week in retro um i thought it was time i gave people um, a summary of how this show works we pick stories from our subreddit and you submit those stories to the subreddit you go and you click on the up and down arrows to see if you're interested in particular submissions that other people have put in you can even comment on them have a discussion we pick from what's there, taking into account the popularity, but also what interests us the most, what we think is going to result in a good conversation. The question of the week is done on Reddit as well. This means that you can go and submit your own answer to it and you can click the arrows to vote on your favourite answers. So you can join in on Reddit if you want to, or not. You don't have to. There's nothing you need to do on Reddit if you just want to listen or watch the show. And if you just want to swing by and have a casual chat in Discord, head over to discord.gg forward slash RMC Retro and there is a This Week in Retro room as well as lots of other rooms you can chat to other listeners in. And if you are a Patreon, you get to be uh, a purple name. You get a special purple name so you stand out as a twirler. I mean, what more could you ask for? Into our news in brief, the stories that we didn't pick to discuss in detail this week. Um... Dave, we've got a, a new episode of Doom coming, Sigil 2. I think that's to, to celebrate an anniversary. Is that right? 30th anniversary of Doom, Doom I think. Um, so John Romero has uh, done Sigil 2, which is a, a, a sequel to Sigil, which was him doing a new episode for Doom. Um, right. Yeah, I've got Sigil on my shelf. I bought it, a signed copy from him, and I haven't played it yet. It's another one on the backlog. Um, <laughs> have you played it- Sigil? Chris. No. Thank you. Um, (laughs) In other news, Steve Wozniak has suffered a a stroke. Uh, He was due to be a speaker at a conference and very sadly um, suffered a, it sounds like a a minor stroke, although I don't think there is any such thing as a minor stroke, but, uh, you know, he he managed to get on a plane and get back and get uh, the medical attention he needed. So uh, our best wishes for... um, Steve Wozniak, uh, a legend in the industry. There's a short clip someone submitted of Alan Partridge, who is a a UK sitcom character, and he's in a Tandy shop. So we were talking about that a few weeks ago, the Tandy and the Radio Shack shops. He's in a Tandy shop, and uh, the story there is he's he's got a private shopping because he's so famous and people bother him. YouTuber Look Mum No Computer has been uh, out on the road with his Commodore SX64 uh, to show off his portable music creation setup. He did well with that video. He even appeared on the front page of BBC News here in the UK. So that really captured their imagination. All links to this uh, and anything else we discuss, well, they're on the subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. There is a clip from a 1980 episode of Tomorrow's World which is called hyper-realistic football. And it is the most basic football game you can imagine. There's nothing realistic about it at all. But I'm going to touch back on that later on because it made me me think about something. 
Is that the something that you've? I've just put a note in there that I want to mention, or is it something else? No, it's not. It's Chrissy's okay. story. There is another um, Tomorrow's World clip that was doing the rounds this week. I don't know that anyone put it on the subreddit, so I'll put a link in the show notes. But Heber, who owned the mill here um, at the Retro Collective, uh, they produced an electronic dartboard in the 80s, which would register where the dart had landed on the board, calculate it, and then using uh, you know a dial-up modem, it would have been at the time, sent that to another dartboard in another club at the other end of the country. So you could play darts remotely. Uh, and there's a clip of it being demonstrated. It's very, it's very British. They've got the um, who's the dart player that wears all the jewellery and everything. What's his name? You know the guy. Ba Baracus. No, well, yeah. Let's say Ba Baracus. Um, he gets he gets quite violent in the interview. He talks about ripping the Tomorrow's World presenter's arms off and beating him with the soggy ends. <laughs> it's, Was it's, he joking? Well, yeah, he was joking, but, you know, when you do it with a Cockney accent, it still sounds quite menacing. So look out for that. <laughs> um, Something to watch a, in the family. <laughs> there's a video from Commodore Computer Museum with some predictions on what Retro Games Limited, so that's the Amiga many people are doing next. And he goes into quite a bit of detail, talks about sales numbers and so on. But he predicts that an Atari 8-bit is coming next, and he says it's because they've sent lawyers to that project that we covered a few months back. So there was a, a fan project which had no no rights to do it, um, the Atari 8-bit, and they were shut down by lawyers, and he thinks that's why we're going to get an Atari 8-bit mini coming up. I don't know. Sounds plausible to me. One to watch. It would probably be the most niche product that they've made to date if they do that. But that's not to say there isn't a market for it. Well, they've done a Vic 20. Yeah, but that was an easy win because they already had the shell from the C64 and just put I a guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you could argue it's not really a, a full product they did because it was almost just a, a different colour of uh, plastic and a different badge. The, the Atari 8-bit was, was a popular machine for a long time. Uh, the, the, the XL range looks fantastic if they can do an xl i'll buy it yeah and we've got to remember that retro games distribute these things internationally so just because it wasn't such a popular machine here doesn't mean there isn't a market for it yeah well there's probably a bigger market were there more atari 8 bits sold than amigas i, I don't have the answer to that dave mm -mm. Hmm. don't know don't know someone can guess in the comments and confidently tell us um, I love VR or virtual reality, but I'm really not sure about my need for AR or XR. But use cases are actually emerging, and I'm certainly now very tempted to get a Quest 3, for example. Mugwai shared a socials post by Dominic Pajak showing a virtuality BBC Micro at play. At least that's how it looks at first glance. Dave's jumping up and down in my peripheral vision. What's XR? Because AR is augmented reality. What's XR? Cross-reality, or, or in my view, just another acronym that somebody made up because they wanted to sound smart. So it's Cross AR. Cross-reality. Yeah, I, I, I struggled to see the defining. Somebody can correct me in the comments or you know further educate us, but AR blends virtual reality with the real world, as does XR. So That's maybe why I've not heard what XR is then, because yeah. it's nonsense. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, there probably is some difference, but yeah, yeah, it's a fair question, Dave. What is there's, there's also 
There's also MR, mixed reality, yeah. and CR, cinematic reality. Oh apparently, just to confuse things. It's MR not ER then. Well, you'd think a, MR was AR. But it's it, it has similarities with XR, but not VR. No, not VR, but you need VR to do AR, MR, or XR. What about ER? You could go to the ER if you get the dimensions wrong for your room when you're playing AR, XR, VR, or MR. So, but yeah, so anyway, getting uh, back to the story, this this looks like, you know, just a virtual reality BBC micro being played. Um, that's what it looks like at first glance. And and that's nothing new. We've seen, you know, VR consoles and, and emulators and recreations of, you know, what perhaps 80s and 90s bedrooms used to look like and then sitting down again uh, next to the CRT in VR uh, and playing those games in that format. But this is different. This is mixed reality. Um, so the room you're seeing in the video is real. It's a real room. But the BBC Micro and the VDU are virtual. They don't physically exist um and in in the post uh, which includes a short video of it in use dominic writes that he's he's porting the emulator virtual bbc mic.ro into the mixed reality experience for the quest 3 another thing that hit my feed this week which is similar uh, it came to me by via marvin drugsma and um, actually, sorry, it wasn't this week. It was about three weeks ago. Just slight correction there. Um, and this was a video, video of somebody playing Super Mario in mixed reality. So it's sort of a new thing that's emerging. And this wasn't a virtual console that, that somebody's sitting at in a real room. This was very different. This was basically Mario in 3D appearing, you know, sort of to be floating in space in a sort of virtual unseen tabletop in front of the player rather than a simulated screen. So now they've gone, forget what the console looks like, forget what the screen needs to look like, let's just play the game floating in the middle of the room in front of you. And of course, because it's in AR, you can sort of walk around it and see, even though it's a 2D platformer, you can see it from slightly different angles and it's as if it's literally there in the room with you. If you think back to some of the very early HoloLens demonstrations, very similar to what Microsoft was showing off there with Minecraft appearing in, on the table in front of the uh, the user, that kind of thing. Um, so there's two very different uses of the same technology here, guys. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? Is AR the next way forward, you know, stuff emulation and stuff collecting all the hardware, just sit in your actual physical room but play retro games either on virtual consoles or just, you know, suspended in the ether? What do you think, Dave? So I like the idea of having a desk that I'll set up and with AR, it will, it will, I'll swipe across and I'll have my Atari 800 set up there and I'll have, I could switch that to an Amiga or to a BBC or to whatever I want to. But a great deal of the retro experience is touch. And I've not heard address. Now, maybe the, maybe I just don't know about it, but I've not heard um, much progress being made in terms of touch. So you would need some kind of keyboard there that the AR would map itself onto so you would actually wear touching something when you touch the BBC Micro because touching a, touching a keyboard that's not there, typing on that, is not a good experience at all. Um, so if they can somehow manage that, maybe you maybe you set, up, set yourself up with an emulation desk where you maybe get a, t- a, 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 a keyboard straight in front of a wall um, because you don't need much space, and then it, it will t- 
take the wall away and put the screen there and your, your keyboard will become a BBC Micro as far as you can see. I don't know. Maybe that's how they'll do it. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. I've got a room full of stuff here. But if, if, I, if, the, if the AR would make it just the same to me as if, I, as if the stuff was really there when it wasn't, then great. But going back to the Tomorrow's World clip that I mentioned in briefs, if in 1980 they thought that was hyper-realistic and it was the most basic game ever, if that's what they thought was hyper-realistic in 1980, or some people did, then does it mean that we're in a similar position now where we just cannot possibly imagine what things will be like with AR once it's gone the whole way because we're not just, we're, we just don't know what it's going to end up being? Is that where we are now where we can't properly imagine it? Um and I know Neil, Neil, you give some views on this. Neil, you said before that AR is a real VR. Is that right, Neil? Did I say that? That sounds like a very wise thing to say. I paraphrased what you said in the past and maybe maybe turned it into that, that snappy sentence there, but I think yeah. you've got that sentiment across. Well, first of all, Bobby George was the name of the darts player, not B.A. Barakas, so that's just come back to me uh, from our previous story. Um, AR, so <clears throat> for years, yeah, VR excited me, I, I, and I am starting to wonder if the real fun is going to come from AR or XR or whatever we're calling it. Um, w one drawback of VR is that it's quite antisocial in the setting that you're playing it. You can play it online with friends, of course, but it's at the complete opposite end of the gaming spectrum to couch gaming. Not only are you playing remotely, you're playing remotely with blinkers on so you can't even see people in the same room as you. Uh, and I think that when AR becomes cheap enough to have just multiple sets of glasses just kicking around the house, maybe, maybe we're just all wearing glasses by default now, sunglasses with the AR built in or whatever, when they're just... Um, completely disposable and cheap, and they're kicking around the house. Will we see the return of social gaming in the same room? Uh, perhaps a group in one room linked with another household in the room, all sat together around a dining table playing an AR tabletop game in which you can't lose the pieces. If that's the future, that sounds like a future I'd like to be a part of. Chris? No, you raise a really good point there because it is it is so solo. Um, PS2, uh, sorry, the PS4, PSVR, did make it so some games the, the the main player is in the headset and other players are interacting with the flat screen the tv and they've got different views so that's that's a good way around the social problem but i mean this raises a head because obviously we're only talking about games here there are so many other uses for vr and ar and these kind of technologies and education is a big one and there's a there's a lot of push at the moment to sort of invest in this area um you know to make education especially for distance learners um, you know, uh, more accessible and more uh, immersive, especially if it's digital learning. But the problem is exactly what you're saying is, but not every student has got the freaking technology to engage with that. So so what is the, the solution? So I've long been saying it needs to get to the point where it's it's literally a, a pair of sunglasses. He goes feeling for his head, his own on his head, and they're not there. Um, they're usually always there, but anyway. Um, and, um, you know, and we forget we've even got them until we need to see the digital world around us and we slot them on again. Absolutely, I think that's where it's going. Yeah, and the, the technology on the software side is moving in that direction, but you've only got to look at Apple's latest AR glasses to say it's not there yet. That's more like wearing a scuba diver mask than it is wearing a disposable pair of glasses, and it has the price to go with it as well. Dave? Yeah, I'm thinking back to Star Wars, and Star Wars had AR. They had AR meetings where not all of them were present in the same room, but you would have a hologram of someone else sitting there, 
they could see everyone else everyone else could see them i'm thinking you you've you're talking about games playing one household playing games i mean it could be you and lily and me and uh, and chris and his wife or we're playing a board game together one night on a saturday night and it, we could be turning our heads and seeing each other in the same room when they're not there and we could have the board game there it could be the it could be computer assisted so we could see better graphics and so on but we'd still be in the same room it'd be an, an enhanced experience there so maybe that's what's coming yeah, Maybe. the difference with Star Wars, uh, as if Star Wars is real, the difference is that the uh, you know the, the holographic layer or whatever you're watching is is generated from that source rather than everyone having to wear glasses to see it and the glasses yeah, having yeah. to calculate where you are in the room and walk around it and everything like but that. Maybe just for the sake of, of looking right, that they'll, they'll, when you put these glasses on, it'll fake a source putting the, the stuff in. I don't know. Um, so that we can tell the difference between what's real and what's not. I, d- I don't know. But yeah, um, if, if these glasses are, are, are like my glasses now and I don't notice the I don't feel them being on my on my face, then then that's what needs to happen. But yeah. Yeah. And the natural bridge, um, especially with retro, is tabletop gaming for me for play a game of hero quest or space crusade where you're looking down onto this little fantasy set, almost like a little film set on the table um, with animated battles going on and I don't know, um, in Space Crusade, the Marines sort of bit of radio chatter going on, that sort of stuff. That would be a lot of fun. But as Chris just explained with a, a version of Mario, that's a whole different way of video gaming as well. You're using the environment around you. Um, and I have experienced that in, in a small way. There was a Mario Kart game that came out a couple of years ago where you had physical remote control cars And they had cameras on and you would uh, connect your phone to them and it would use AR to create a racetrack. So you'd put the little uh, racetrack points around the room physically and then you would play the game on your phone, but the game was a physical remote control car flying around and then AR overlaid. So, you know, it is quite advanced, but that's using a phone. Again, it's not using cheap disposable glasses. So I think it is the future i hope we get to that future but then i said that about vr and i don't feel like we fully achieved that future maybe because ar is the more convenient alternative that we have to get to and what's to stop a pair of ar glasses giving you a full vr experience if they're good enough where they just blank out the whole world anyway and you're in vr so it's one you know there's a lot of crossover there isn't there absolutely and i think isn't that how the Quest kind of does that, isn't it? A true VR headset, but because of the 3D cameras on, when it does augment the real world around you, you are you're, you're rather than rather than it being a transparent um, set of glasses that you then try and superimpose the VR information on. It, it works the other way. It's a VR headset mm. that superimposes the real world through 3D cameras, and it works very well. If you've used a, a Quest 2, it's an amazing experience. My son Zach's got one um, and regularly brings it around if he's uh, bought another music pack for Beat Saber. Yeah, but the real AR experience for me feels like it should just be default cheap glasses, and not only are you going home and playing board games, you're sat in your car it pays with your car it's yeah. giving you your speed it's yeah. giving you your sat nav seamlessly you're I in a shop tell you where the next bugger king is <laughs> the next bugger king and then you're in you're in in the supermarket and it's you know telling you the direction to the thing on your shopping list and it's just seamless everyday part of life um and hopefully that will find its balance well so that people like meta aren't completely ruining the experience um, <laughs> through combing your data, but such is life. 
25 pence off if you add another one to your trolley. <laughs> Ping. <laughs> that's 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 so true. It is it is a bit sad that the only headset that is actually attracting my attention is owned by Meta cuz I just yeah, there's something dirty about that. It really is unfortunate. HoloLens was fantastic, but they've they've more leaned towards the sort of industry use of VR rather than the gaming, which is absolutely fine. Played with one of them as well because, uh, again, Zach is using it in industry um, and creating. So what he's been doing is creating like the next step of a project in in, in VR so that he can, we can go to, he, so he can take the client to the real plant. So these are sort of oil and gas mining. Um, and they'll be looking at the current real life state of the project, and then the client can see in 3D the next stage of the project, geotagged and sitting next to it. It's a fantastic use of the technology. Um, but going back to the story, I really like where this is going. Um, I like the idea maybe of recreating my teenage bedroom, but not the equipment. So what I'm saying there is, I mean, I do have posters around me here, but what if they were just blank walls? And when I sit down, it's the posters that I you know, seem to remember having on the wall when I played the Spectrum and then, you know, I can change that to the Amiga era and that kind of thing. That would be nice without having to, you know, constantly put put holes in the wall and try and hang pictures up. That would be a cool way of doing it. What I don't want to do is is use this technology to replace the real hardware. That's that's the danger. So I am more and more tempted to, to get a Quest, even though it is owned by Meta, um, and I might as well leapfrog the two and possibly get the three. But the problem is I can't seem to stop spending my money on actual classic hardware. So I still can't justify the spending money on modern kit to simulate older things. Certainly wouldn't have to be the only use case for it. And if I did, if I used the Quest to simulate you know, the machines around me here, then Nikki, of course, would argue that I could sell the originals, and that's just not going to happen. Time now to round off the show with our community question of the week. Ian Lee set the question last week as our guest, and he quite simply asked the question, what is retro to you? He also added, has your opinion changed as you got older? Uh, now, Duncan has been answering there. He says, I used to think retro of be, uh, was, was anything before the PlayStation. Before the games I played went texture mapped 3D. Now, though, he's, he's had a change of heart. He says, now, though, I would class the original PlayStation as retro, but I can't quite accept the PS2 as retro just yet. So Duncan's only going back to, is that 2001 with the PS2, around about the turn of the millennium? Um, okay, so, yeah, I think some would agree, some would disagree. I certainly think retro is past the original PlayStation, though, 96. That's, no, 94 in Japan, wasn't it? I'm going to have to double-check that now. Anyway... Um, who's got some answers for us from the uh, subreddit? I'll go first. Limey Tank says, Retro to me is 16 bits or less. But all of a sudden, it seems my PPC Max, Power PC Max are now retro. But it just seems like newer computers are less interesting. And this started with the intro 32 bit machines. I get the point. Things were. Um, more varied and more interesting back in the 16 and 8 bit days. But um, I, I think that uh, for me, it's when things are different than what we do now. I mean, it, it, uh, if you, even if you go back to 2005, things were quite different to how they are now. So, yeah, um, I'm not sure I agree with it has to be 16 bit. And I guess with something like PowerPC Max, there is a definitive dead end to that era. It, it, yeah. it reached a close. You are going no further. It will just get more yeah. and more retro. Yeah. Um, Prefim says, retro for me was anything before I got my first PC. 
I had a balling A1200 in a tower <laughs> uh, with a CD drive, hard disk drive, 68060, etc. I got my first PC, a Cyrix 586, which blew it away for lightwave 3D rendering times. So that was the line in the sand where anything new was just another PC. And I think we've all discussed this in the past, haven't we? PCs just kind of became uh, yeah. an amalgamation of upgrades and just a, a blob of PC. Um, I wouldn't say that's true of the 486 era for me because that felt quite distinctive and quite special. Uh, and then moving into the 3DFX era, and then it's just a it's just a weird blur for me. Yeah. Anyway, um, Chris, do you want to read the next one? Yeah. Uh, Rich Neptune says, it's a sliding window for me. Uh, I'd say current date minus 20 years. That's very wise, actually. Um, personally, that covers the Xbox, PS2, GameCube, and early XP era systems. And Tricky replied to that saying that um, he agrees, but it makes him feel very old that graduate trainees now turn up at his work and the um the 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 360 era is firmly retro to them because they were only three years old when it started people going into full-time adult work they were babies the 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 best answer that hasn't been read out yet is from lord borak and he says cheese and pineapple on a stick oh yes please is that it is that the answer yeah that's it um, yeah, lots of great answers there. Head over to our Reddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro to read through them. It's never too late to add an answer because we can still, you know, people still go back and read them and enjoy the conversation, regardless of the fact that the show has moved on to the next episode. Don't worry about that. And uh, this week's question of the week is quite simple. We talked about games uh, losing 90% of their value, up to 90% of the value, prices crashing on retro. So, if you could wave a magic wand at a piece of retro and make the price crash on it, what would it be? What do you want to make the price crash on? Um, let us know. Uh, Duncan will post the question on our subreddit and you can join them uh, and share your answers. And of course, check out all the links on the show notes to Discord, to Reddit, to all the stories we've discussed and to patreon.com forward slash this week in retro if you would like to support the show and you enjoy our company every week. Anyone got anything else to add before we go? Uh, mini cheddars. Mini cheddars. Chris? What was the question? <laughs> Wonderful. See you next week, everyone. <laughs> Take care. They're waving. Bye. Bye. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RNC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. community subreddit at r slash this week in retro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show if you watch this week in retro on youtube please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers
If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.